I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. That's serious stuff that we just talked about. I'm trying to be comic relief, so I'm going to move away from it right now. We need markers to remember what God has done in our lives. Uh, here we go. Here we go. I'm glad I'm around somebody to make fun of. <laughs> because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. It's good stuff. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Featuring Angie Ferris. I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody, it's episode 44 of History Through the Eyes of Faith. I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes, as always. But this podcast would not be this podcast without the incomparable stylings and content of Angie Ferris. Ferris, welcome, Angie. Thank you, Frank. It's great to be here. And I'm glad to be here, too. And we're in the Red Door Studio, History Through the Eyes of Faith, episode 44. I've said that a couple of times. Wow. What is the, uh, what's the another name for 44? You know how we used to do sticks and... I don't know. Fours? Come on, fours. I guess. That, that was way work. early on. Yeah. Fours? Come on, fours. 44? Come on, fours. Um, Steve Martin... Uh, he's on my wall here in the studio and I was trying to think of how he would open some of his shows or how he would open it. Um, and I don't know, he would, he would, I know one thing he would do, he would end it and he'd say, like to thank everybody for coming by tonight. Thank you, 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 uh, and he would do, it's impossible to put a Cadillac in your nose. It's just impossible. So every show I like to do one thing that is impossible. So right now I'm going to suck this piano into my lungs. <laughs> yeah, he was in, had an oblique sense of humor, son. Won't see my little, guns. Little callback. Well, you got an oblique sense of humor. <laughs> Elvis has showed up a lot in the last few episodes. He has. He just keeps showing we his need little to, face. We need to not do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'm going to say this. I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little jumpy. This might. I don't know how the audience is going to receive this. I don't know how the audience in this room is going to receive it. But I made a joke in '43, I believe, that Elvis is still alive. He's not still alive. Okay, I was joking. And the reason I know he's not still alive is because Lisa Marie Presley married Michael Jackson. <laughs> He would have had something to say about that, I bet. <laughs> well, that was a long time ago. I know. We would have heard about it. Yeah, okay. I think that's a funny joke. I didn't write it, but I think it's a funny joke. Um, and Michael Jackson, we haven't talked about him in forever. I think he was in episode you just one. You managed to get him back in. He was in yeah. more than one at the beginning. Yeah, but he was in episode one. Um, I think there's anything else. Um, anything else that comes to mind? Uh, podcasts. This is one of them. Of all the podcasts you could listen to, this is one of them. Yep. That should be... Someone wrote that on a... A comedian wrote that about a book of all the books. This yeah. is one of them. So you've got a gift bag over there. Oh, I do. Mystery bag, a mystery bag. Now it's time for a mystery, mystery bag. Valentine's. I believe this... Will this episode be out after Valentine's? Yes, after. Um... <clears throat> So I hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day. Um, if you do not have a significant other, that's fine. It can be any loved one that you want to be their Valentine. I remember one time I asked my mom if she would be my Valentine. And she has always loved that. So Yeah, this is like more than two weeks after Valentine's. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I hope everybody a, had a good one. Just a distant memory now. But so this is a Valentine's gift from you to us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, do I get to open it now? Well, you should guess a little bit. Well, I can't guess. I mean, it's, I a, clues. it's a pretty big red bag, y'all. It's like uh, bigger than your average. I got to have clues. Oh, I didn't take a picture. I've been instructed by our social media to take pictures of the bags. Oh, and we got the. 
attack of the 50-foot woman in the background, too. So I'm going to try this one without it. There we go. Okay. You didn't want the attack of the 50-foot woman in the background. It was a little distracting. Okay. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about that poster. It's just distracting. All right. I don't get to guess? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I got to have a clue. Like, is it something you eat? No. No. Is it something you listen to? No. Is it something um, you just look at? Yeah. And? And you do you light it? No. Do you smoke it? Mm-mm. And you hold it in your hand? I, I don't know. I mean, Give me something else. Oh, you're not good at giving clues. I am so sorry. Come on. Um, we can't just. It's more than one. And yeah. And there's some in this room. Is there something that I wear? No. Um, there's some in this room. Yeah, what's a sticker? Hey, sit down. Sit down. She's not telling me to sit down. We have a guest. Wes is peeking now. There's more than one. Oh, it's a weird shape. It's like a star. Oh. It's a star box, plastic star box with lots of confetti in it. Wow, this is a mess. Okay. Sorry, folks, that you're not hearing. Okay, putting the confetti in the bag. Is that okay? Yeah, hold up the, hold the confetti back up. All right. And tilt the star. Got it? Okay. All right. Oh. One has my name, okay, and producer Wes, all right. One what? Envelope with our names on them, and, and I'm going to open mine, and uh, it's like a lot of stickers. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot of stickers. Backstory. Okay, backstory, come on. Remember who forgot her thing that goes in the stockings at Christmas? Yeah. That was it. Oh, wow. There's a lot. And who was right there on top smiling at you? Elvis, baby. Looks like a 55 Elvis. And a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite the variety, isn't it, Wes? Do you like them? I do. <laughs> Be happy. Wow, there's a lot. I don't even know what this one says. Kind people are my kind of people. <laughs> Thanks, Angie. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff here. I don't know if we have time to go through all of them, but it says your energy introduces you before you even speak. Oh, that's good. That's a good little proverb, isn't well, it? I wonder if how well that. On a podcast, I mean, you got to speak a little rocket. I'm making a mess here. So you are awesome. Which did you know you can't spell awesome without Wes? Oh, that's so cool. I like that. That's cool. So Wes, what does one of yours say? Um, or what do you have there? Work hard, stay humble. Work hard, stay humble. Be a nice human. Be a nice human. <laughs> what else? What are you laughing about? What do you got? What else do you have besides words, Wes? Um, I have a bald eagle. He has a bald eagle. He's <laughs> okay, on a mic. Yeah. Um, American flag. What you got, bald Frank? Oh, what did you pull off to this gosh. side? Wes, you're going to love this. <laughs> I've got a couple of these that I pulled out. Oh, my gosh. Route 66? No, the Statue of Liberty. Oh, well, I got a better one for you. Here's a ticket. This one is... So in the studio, in the, in the, in the Eyes of Faith studio, we have, well, the Red Door studio. It's because there's a red door, and it's a barn door. And the other barn door that connects to the red door is not red. It is kind of a shabby chic paint. We maybe need to put that on. I get yeah, a you took a picture. We'll get it up. Oh, no, you can't get that one up there because you'll see it in a minute. There's stickers all over the, the one of the doors. But uh, 
I got three alien stickers. <laughs> Yours was a little bit more hand-selected than everybody else's. When I was going through and sorting them all out, now, y'all, we have a bunch of stockings at Christmas, so I just got this massive quantity of stickers and they just randomly sorted them, but I did pull a few for your stack. Well, Area 51 is one of them. <laughs> Another one is a pink alien head with a little pink bow on his head, <laughs> which is great. And then this one is just a green alien dabbing. <laughs> but Wes... Look what! Look at this one. What it's is it? It's a Michael Jackson sticker, and he's doing the pose from like that looks like the same pose on the cover of This Is It. Uh, but it says the ultimate collection is from the pose. We don't have an MJ sticker on the door. That's awesome. He's got a lot of musicians on the door, and different people. There's Jimi Hendrix and Post cool. Malone and Johnny Cash, and so this is great. This is really good. Um, well, I'm exciting. glad you like them. Now, the listeners, or the listener, however many are on here, are not uh, probably into the stickers because they couldn't see them. And yeah, it took well, me a long time to as y'all put them places, them. take a shot of them, we'll give them to our social media expert, she'll get them up. Well, they'll probably be on that door. We're going to cover it. Um, wow, episode 43. So, episode... Uh, no, 44. 40, 44. Yeah. Um. I like to call the Obama episode. Not really, but I call the 43W. Yeah, well, you mentioned that. but I'm You know, I don't know if I want to do that anymore because we're going to have to connect them. I know, that's it what I'm funny. saying. Let's I don't think do we that. should do Let's that. Let's just call it fours. Come on, fours. Come on, fours. Get two. Get two, fours. Come on, fours. Get two. Okay. All right, take the turn. Um, episode 44. 43, we, I learned about Tertullian. What would you learn about him, Frank? I learned that he is credited with being the first person to actually formulize and, I don't want to say create, I don't want to say document, define. but define the Trinity as we still know it today. Yeah, use that the word. The term the Trinity. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty crazy. The term the Trinity came from Tertullian. And he was around, what, 300 Eighty, four hundred. No. Earlier. Earlier. Uh, going back, going back, going back. Um, a one fifty nine. He, yeah, he was born in one fifty nine. And but toward the end of his life, he was very stubborn. Yeah, apparently. And he tried to get canceled. And people were like, <laughs> "Hey, maybe he was a little stubborn toward the end, but we can't just throw it all out because the Trinity is kind of a big deal." Yes. One fifty nine. Yes. Wow, that was a few years ago. And as I think I mentioned, some people will say, well, the Trinity is not even the Bible, and some guy just thought that back up in the second century. Like, that is heresy, because some guy just thought it up. Hmm. But we discussed how it is spelled out in Scripture. and Yeah. Now, yeah. well, one of the things that when we were leaving the previous episode, that I got interested and formulated a question, and you asked how I formulated it, but if... There was questions, for example, you gave them, uh, you gave an example of people that said, hey, if you, um, somebody who had, who had caved to the emperor and offered a sacrifice and yeah. now regretted it and wanted to go back, back to into the Christian the church faith, and were they going to be allowed to, there were people, there were people who didn't feel like they should be. And and I asked the question: How did they make that decision? How did how yeah. did we, how and did I don't they think disperse? we're not going to get completely to that answer by the end of this episode. Well, but I don't we want to do it. I don't want to do this episode if we're not going to get to that answer. We'll get there by the next episode. Listener, go ahead and skip to forty-five. <laughs> There's some good info in forty-four. I hope. I hope. Planning on it. All right. Well, let's get to it. So, one thing we were talking about right there at the end of 43 was that a, many of these issues resolved around the question of the status of Jesus as the Son of God or the Logos of God and being one with the Father. Like, what did that mean? Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Was he God and man? Some, and we said that uh, one set of answers stressed the Godhead, the problem that he was fully God. But then a lot of times those answers undercut. What does that mean? Undercut. The answers, whether he was God, negated. Yeah, worked else. against the conviction that Jesus was a distinct person. Or 
shortchanged the fullness of his deity. So it's, it was hard, okay? Well, I so, would say that's still true today. Yeah, so... I would still have some... I have it's confusion a, It's a that. question, yes. I think you're absolutely right. Because, and I'll just throw this in here, it'll come up many other times. God is infinite and beyond. Like, he is, he's, he's infinite and wise, and he's the creator, and we're limited, and we're the created, so we can never fully understand God. Yet, he gave us a brain to think through these things, and a lot of information to come to some kind of peace about it, okay? So, but to be able to fully understand is kind of outside the realm, which is why I think that this question is struggled with over and over and over again. And we'll see, though, how it becomes answered in this time period. Now, we're not going to see that right now. That will probably happen in the next episode, but we'll see how far we get. So, so... One way to answer that question was to stress his Godhead. Another set of answers stressed the distinction between the Father and the Son. And one of those that we're going to talk about is called Arianism. And it's called Arianism because it was a teaching of Arian or Arius. It was Arian teaching. So Arius was the name of the person who taught this. He was from 256 to 336. Okay. So our next person is Arian? Arius. Arius. And we're not, I don't think he has a card. I don't, I can't remember that. Um, but I, it's important to understand what he was teaching because it's going to come into play as, as we move on. Okay. So it was stressing the distinction between the father and the son. Arianism is a concept which asserts the belief that Jesus Christ is the son of God who was begotten by God the father at a point in time. What does begotten mean? Taken from. Yeah, so... Got... Um, yeah, but that he's distinct from the Father and is therefore subordinate to the Father. Yes. So it was like... Okay. It's like he birthed him. Yeah. Yeah. He birthed him. Yeah. He, he came from God, but was distinct from God, not with God, and was therefore subordinate to the Father. So the Father and the Son are not one in this teaching... The son is subordinate to the father, much in the same way a human son would be subordinate to the father. And this is Arius. Yes, Arian's teachings were first attributed. Arian teachings were first attributed to Arius, a Christian presbyter in Alexandria, Egypt. So he was in the church. He was a presbyter. The teachings of Arius and his supporters were opposed to the theological views held by Trinitarian Christians regarding the nature of the Trinity and the nature of Christ. Being all equal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one nature. Mm-hmm. The, and then Arius would teach that the Son was subordinate to the Father and came from the Father but was a distinct person than the Father and was subordinate okay, to. Okay, this is okay? interesting to me because I don't necessarily have to have a difference between the two. Okay, so, the Arian concept of Christ is based on the, on the belief that the Son of God did not always exist, but was begotten by the Father at some point in time, which is different than in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He so stressed the unified eternal character of God, the, the Father, that the Son was reduced to a lower status. So, Arius was stressing the unified and eternal character of God, and the Son was a little bit below that. He thoroughly subordinated the Son to the Father. In response, many in the church wondered how such a subordinated Christ, who was more than human, yet less than fully God, could impart salvation to humanity. So that was the question they're asking. Like, well, how does he have the power to give salvation if he's not fully God? So you can see there's creating a rub there. To Arius, however, and here's the key point, The transcendence of the Father and the need to pursue logically the meaning of divine unity mattered more than anything else. The need to pursue logically, so to be able to explain it logically, mattered more than anything else. Okay, is jeopardizing the the point, right? Say that again. Arius... The transcendence of the Father, 
the fact that he was had begotten the son and was separate from the son and the need to pursue logically the meaning of divine unity mattered more than anything else so it was the to arius the understanding of it mattered more than anything else then anything else would include canon creed okay so it's 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 a heresy then becomes a heresy so I just want to introduce it right there because that's where it happens. And we've been talking about the church fathers and the heritage, you know, and the fact that heresy existed and that they were pushing back against that and their writings. And so here's an example of one who was seen as a heretic and what that teaching was. But many people followed this teaching and became a really big deal. So we're going to put a pin in that right there and move over and talk about the political situation with Christians and Rome in those first 300 years. All right, but while we put a pin in it, can I just ask this question? Yes. When I heard Aryan teaching, uh-huh. I think of Nazis. Oh, that's interesting. Of like Aryan nation. Mm-hmm. What's the connection? I don't know that there is one. I don't know that because I, w- I wouldn't think that there is one. I don't, you know, maybe uh, Wes could put up a definition of us for us of the Aryan nation what that is because that's okay. a race so that's a race and I don't know why they're named that I don't think it's because of Arius who was right. back in the third century yeah okay well, okay be good to know um we're putting a pin in it we're going to talk about politics well we're going to talk about the political situation at the time and so we're going to start off by talking about persecution and as I said, as you get into the fourth century, there are some major changes that change things. So we're talking about the situation leading up to that fourth century. Yeah, it's spelled differently. Aryan is spelled A-R-Y-A-N. Derived from the Sanskrit meaning noble, superior, or highborn. Okay. Then put up the other Aryan. A-R-I- or Arius. A-R-I-U-S. According to its Greek origin, the meaning of Arius is immortal. immortal. Yeah, but that was just his name. Okay. That just happened to be the person's name who came up with this. Okay. Or who was teaching this. So, right. now we're looking at the political situation in, at that time. Men always view with suspicion people who are different. This is coming from the church and history, the church history in plain language, that book. So, men always view with suspicion or people always view with suspicion other people who are different. Conformity, not distinctiveness, is the way to a trouble-free life. You get that idea? Mm-hmm. So the more early Christians took their faith seriously, the more they were in danger of crowd reaction. Right. It was simply true that the Christian ethic in itself was a criticism of pagan life. So just le- living your life as a devout Christian, was a criticism of pagan life. And we've already talked about that, how it stood up against the immorality. Fundamental to the Christian lifestyle and the cause of endless hostility was the Christian's rejection of the pagan gods. Mm -hmm. The Greeks and Romans had deities for every aspect of living. It wasn't like a side thing. It was an intimate part of everything. Mm -hmm. For sowing and reaping, for rain and wind, for volcanoes and rivers, for birth and death. But to the Christian, these gods were nothing, and their denial of them marked the followers of Jesus as enemies of the human race, quote, enemies yeah. of the human race. One simply could not reject the gods without arousing scorn as a social misfit. For the pagan, every meal began with a liquid offering and a prayer to the pagan gods. A Christian could not share in that. Most heathen feasts and social parties were held in the precincts of a temple after sacrifice had been made, and the invitation was usually to dine at the table of some god. A Christian could not go to such a feast. Inevitably, when he refused the invitation to some social occasion, the Christians seemed rude, boorish, and discourteous. So they really stood out. Mm-hmm. Okay, because all of society was somehow designed around these gods <coughs> and associated with sacrifices, and it, they were part of everything. So to separate yourself from that, made you stand out in short the early christian was almost bound to divorce himself from the social and economic life of his time if he wanted to be true to his lord which is similar to today similar yeah but there was a time in history not that long ago when it wouldn't have been similar and that's kind of the point of history through the eyes of faith (laughs) looking at all of that so it's kind of cool That meant that everywhere, so this idea that they had to divorce themselves from social and economic life, 
That meant that everywhere the Christian turned, his life and faith were on display because the gospel introduced a revolutionary new attitude toward human life. Right? Yeah. So, example of that was Christians and were partic- they treated slaves differently. There were slaves were everywhere in that world and maybe even some Christians had slaves but they were treated as brothers and sisters in the faith and with kindness and when that, and that was different than they were treated in society they treated treated children differently like if a pagan in Roman society had a girl and they didn't want the girl they just abandoned her in the woods like it was no big deal yeah. to do that Christians didn't do that, and they would even rescue some of those kids. They took care of the poor and the sick. They were known for, like, orphanages and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. And and so it was a really different approach. Here's a quote from The Silk Roads, that book. And remember, that book is focused very much on the East. So this is talking about Persia. And here's a, unlike the other inhabitants of Persia, wrote one author, this Persian author, author from this time period is writing quote the disciples of christ in asia do not practice the condemnable habits of these pagan peoples that's what they said this was to be welcome noted another writer as a sign of how christians improved standards in persia and elsewhere in the east quote persians who have become his disciples no longer marry their mothers Mm. while those on the steppes remember the steppes was that northern region Um, we've talked about several times, no longer, quote, feed on human flesh because of Christ's word, which has come to them. So such developments ought to be warmly welcomed, he wrote. So even in the East, everywhere, adhering to these principles and living a life dedicated to Jesus as taught to them by the apostles and those who came after made them stand out in this culture. The supreme cause of Roman persecution of Christians, however, was the tradition of emperor worship. This conflict between Christ and Caesar did not break out overnight. Only gradually did the worship of emperor assume a central place in the life of the empire. So we've talked about before how they were persecuted because they would not worship Caesar, but we haven't talked about why would you even think about worshiping Caesar and why was that a case? And I think in the past, before I studied this in depth, I thought it was like, well, even from going to Rome and visiting the places that they were just full of themselves and arrogant and started thinking of themselves as gods. But there's a little bit more behind it than that. Okay. And we're going to talk about that. Um, The roots of the practice of emperor worship lie in the merits of Roman rule. When the Romans took over the government of a country, impartial Roman justice arrived. So if the Romans capture a country, they have impartial justice and men were freed from the capricious authority of unpredictable and often savage and bloodthirsty tyrants. So say in, in your country or your city or your province or whatever it is, this part of the world where you live in, you've got this chief and whatever the chief or the head or the king or the says is what goes. And it can just be, capricious and unpredictable but the romans come in and there's rules Hmm. they take over and you're following you're following the rules and you've got some organization when roman administration came the roads were cleared of robbers and the seas of pirates and a new security entered into life this was pax romana the roman peace pretty cool huh so they're capturing all these places not only are they coming there but they're bringing stability there Okay, and people but, appreciated but, but that. But they're pagan gods too. Yeah, but they, there's an order. Okay. Yeah. The result of this was a deep and heartfelt gratitude toward Rome. It was an easy step for the spirit of Rome to become the goddess Roma, because they worshipped everything, right? And by the second century BC, there were many temples in Asia Minor to the goddess Roma. Okay, but the human mind and heart need a symbol. Okay, you can say you worship the goddess Roma, but we want a symbol. It was a further easy step to see the goddess Roma and the spirit of Rome incarnated in the emperor. He embodied Rome. He was Rome. In him, the spirit of Rome resided and had its earthly dwelling. Okay, so the emperor was automatically revered because he was in charge of this system that brought peace. The first temple actually built to the godhead of the emperor was built in 29 BC 
at Pergamum in Asia Minor. At first, the emperors were hesitant to accept this reference. Claudius, who was from 41 to 59, refused to have temples erected to him because, as he said, he did not wish to be offensive to his fellow man. But slowly, an ideal began to form in the official mind, in the minds of these emperors. The problem of the Roman Empire was the problem of unification. The empire stretched from the river Euphrates, which is over in modern-day Iraq, Iran, to the shores of the Irish Sea, all the way up to Great Britain. It stretched from Germany all the way down to North Africa, from Spain all the way to Egypt and Syria. Here were all kinds of peoples and languages and faiths and traditions. How could they be welded into a unity? How could the consciousness of one empire be brought into the lives of such diverse people? There is no unifying force like the force of a common religion. And Caesar worship lay ready at hand. Oh, yeah. None of the local and ancestral faiths had any hope of ever becoming universal, but Rome was universal. As a result, Caesar worship became the keystone of imperial policy. It was deliberately organized in every province in the empire, everywhere temples to the godhead of the emperor appeared. Tell me what you're reading from again. I'm, I'm pretty sure all of this is from the plain language in uh, Church History in Plain Language book. Okay. So it makes a lot of sense, right? They need to unify, and nothing unifies like religion, and none of these local religions could be universal so the emperor was universal. And because it, he also embodied the, for lack of a better word, spirit of Rome. Yes, yes. So, little by little, people within the empire came to believe that any allegiance in conflict with loyalty to the emperor and therefore to the empire could only lead to the disintegration of order. Mm-hmm. Any allegiance in conflict to the empire or the emperor could only lead to disintegration of order. Worship of another lord could only open the floodgates of chaos. Emperor Decius, from 249 to 251, he was only a couple of years, took another important step in persecution. Caesar worship was made universal and compulsory for every race and nation within the empire, with the single exception of the Jews. The Jews had an exception. On a certain day in the year, every a certain day in the year, every Roman citizen had to come to the temple of Caesar and had to burn a pinch of incense there and say, "Caesar is Lord." When he had done that, he was given a certificate to guarantee that he had done so. Not unlike a vaccine passport. Easy. But it's the same thing in the sense that you go get something and then you have a certificate saying that you did it, and right. then that certificate keeps you out of trouble because you have evidence that it was done. After a man had burned his pinch of incense and had acknowledged Caesar as Lord, he could go away and worship any God he liked so long as the worship did not affect public decency and order. So you just had to do that, and then you can worship anybody else that you wanted to, but this is kind of saying, I'm a loyal Roman citizen. I Okay. And then this quotes from the Silk Roads. This was a time when societies were highly receptive to explanations for everything from the mundane to the supernatural and when, the, when faith offered solutions to a multitude of problems. The equation was as simple as it was powerful. A society protected and favored by the right God or gods thrived. Those promising false idols and empty promises suffered. So he's using this not only to talk about Rome, but even more so to talk about a Persian religion that was going on at the time. Like, you wanted to be aligned with the successful god. Yeah. Okay? And the emperor was a successful god, right? Um, There were strong incentives, therefore, for rulers to invest in the right spiritual infrastructure, such as the building of lavish places of worship. This offered a lever over control, allowing leaders to form a mutually strengthening relationship with the priesthood who across all the principal religions wielded substantial moral authority and political power so in other places like this was happening in persia you would connect with that and and particularly in persia it was zoroastrianism which is another side story not Mm -hmm. real relevant to our current conversation but um getting aligned with the right god was important yeah and building temples so in the process of uh, doing my research, this was, you know, I think I mentioned in the last episode that I that there was a book I was looking for, and I was like, where is that book? Did I listen? Did I mention that when we were recording? I think so, yeah. And you yeah. came across one. Yeah. So I found this uh, 
I went hunting and found this book, and I'm so excited to show it to you. Are all you listeners ready to see the book? <laughs> it's, a, it's a book called Ancient Rome, and it's got that favorite thing. You remember that Bible book that, you, that I had the, that you like? The overlays, overlays, the overlays. Now, check this out. It's a spiral-bound book, folks. This is the Forum of Augustus as it looks now. Imagine an 8 by 11 sheet turned landscape spiral bound so this is a form of augustus those are the buildings as they look now when you go see them now that would be where kind of like augustus's temple that would be where he held court that would be a phrase we would use now but where he had his forum where he did discussions where he did his and so and this with the overlay is how it looked in the day i would like a copy of that book it's pretty impressive isn't it yeah i got it when we were in italy but i'm sure you can get it online here is the Forum of Trajan. Look, there's not much of it left at all, right? Mm -hmm. Quite wow. extensive, like an interior view there. And then, oh, there was an earlier one, the Forum <clears throat> of Caesar. So I'm showing, so how would you describe what you're seeing, Frank? Um, okay. Oh, I, I did a. I, I was pretty excited about the bang up job I did a minute ago with an eight by eleven page turned landscape. Yeah. Bound on the left side spirally, pictures of ruins like you would take on a vacation. You just take a snapshot of the ruins. Right. And then you lay over top of it what it looked like when it was complete back in ancient Rome. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, it's isn't it? It's very impressive, and I like it a lot, and I want a copy of it. So this, this is, <clears throat> all of these buildings are in the Forum area of, of Rome when you go there, and you just walk around and see all these buildings. I encourage you before you go there to get this book, because I wish I'd had it when I was standing there in front of them. Oh, yeah. I got it while we were still in Italy, but not on the day that we were at this place, so that I could look at those pillars and a piece of this and a wall of that and put it together the coliseums in here that many things are in here oh, from I'd the love to see that ancient ancient deal so um it's called ancient rome uh past and present monuments past and present and the i don't know if it's the author or the editor r-a is the initials and the last name is staccioli s-t-a-c-c-i-o L-I. Yeah, pretty cool. So, anyway. Um, it's called uh, Ancient what? Ancient Rome. I think the back covers come off because it's not. Yeah. All right. But you I, know what I brought me. that in to, to, to show you every emperor has a temple in this area. So, you would see each emperor would come in and they would build their temple. And it was really, you can imagine... By the time the fourth century is starting, it's a pretty impressive place, right? With all these buildings and all of that, um, it was pretty clear who was in charge and lots of ways to worship them. So, can you see how um, that would create conflict with the Christians? Oh, definitely. And I want to just make another comment, if you if you don't mind, before we move away from. And I don't know if we're really going to move away from it, but um, by the way, I found the book on Amazon, or at least one very very similar, and I'm trying to save it to my favorite so I can find it later. One of my favorite movies from the '80s was Running Scared, which is Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the movie. Not off the top of my head. But they're cops in Chicago. And uh, it's like a buddy cop movie from the 80s. I find it very funny and good. I mean, it's dated. And Michael McDonald seems the theme to the movie. And he's in the music video. Uh, what's the what's the song, Producer Wes, from the movie? Sweet Freedom. Sweet Freedom. It's all sweet freedom. Yeah, I know that Shine song. Shine a light on me. I know that song. Um, but in the movie, Billy Crystal's character, his aunt passes away and leaves him a lot of money. And he goes, my Aunt Rose used to always say to me, go to Rome. And so I've always wanted to go to Rome. <laughs> Just because of the movie. Because of that movie. Now go you have even Rome. more reasons I've to go. I've always wanted to go to Rome anyway because I like the Italian culture just from yeah. what i know from being in the west like i could go over there and hate it but what i know in america of the italian culture 
I I dig it. Yeah. And so like I want to go over there and experience it. Um, I don't know if they're big fans of Americans. Not really. So, but they're nicer. They're pretty nice about it. Like that was when we had been to Paris a few years before we went to Rome, and they were much. Rome was a very cosmopolitan city. It very much reminded me of like New York. Like there was a lot of people of a lot of nationalities and ethnicities there. They're all mixed in together. Like the cabbies were used to having whatever language in their car, whereas in Paris, it's like you speak French, you're okay, you don't speak French. Well, we don't really care whether you're here or not. We're not going to help you out. Yeah, not much going on there. But Rome was very... What about if you're in Rome? Go ahead. Rome is very what? No, I'm just cosmopolitan. Very much expected that people from all over the world would be there. What if I was in Rome and I didn't speak Italian, but I could speak English in an Italian accent? They would just look at you funny. Yeah. Just like whatever, but I'll people were like you it. go in shops and people really Damn made an effort. To to the That's where I really <laughs> saw the difference. You go in shops in France, it's like you don't know what it says. That's fine. You don't need to know. You know, I mean, it was like you go in shops in Rome and people would make an effort to communicate with you. I don't think I'm remembering this wrong, but at the time I went into like this one. I think it was like a candy shop, little storefront, mm-hmm. and nobody was in there that spoke English. And the storekeeper got somebody next door. To come over and talk to me. You know, like it was that kind of thing. Like, hey, nice. we're, you know, and and the cabbies were like that. And it was all, it was, yeah, it was, it was cool. I've only had that experience once when I, I went to Germany. And I was in England, which is not, you know, easy. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's not a problem. Right. And I went from England to Germany by myself. And it's just this weird feeling of, oh, no. I don't know how to communicate. Here. <laughs> That's right. It's weird. And I was in the airport and a couple of ladies in front of me, and they th- I think they were from North Carolina. Oh my God. They were talking to each other. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be fun <laughs> because I know how to talk to them. <laughs> but, uh, it was a weird feeling to be in a country where you're like, yeah. I think just looking at me, everyone knows I can't speak their language. Yeah. I was, it is really cool. It, I mean, it is a neat experience. Everybody should have it. Um, like the last day we're in Paris, I went in this department store and I bought this hat and I still have the hat. It's like a winter. Of course you do. Have, of course I do. But I wear the hat in winter in the snow. You got it the last like, time you went to Paris. Yes. It's very heavy. You picked like it up the last time you were in heavy Paris. Heavy felt Parisian hat. Mm-hmm. And so I put the hat on and I'm wearing it. And I go in this store and this woman starts speaking to me in fluent French, like totally thinks I can understand what she's saying and I'm not going to blow it. <laughs> I'm just like, we, we, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not letting you know. You don't, oui. I don't know what you're doing. Do you think she still believed it? Or he just went, we, I don't, I don't, I think it was like a transaction where I didn't really have to say anything. I don't know. She never acted like, I thought it would always be a good tactic. Something was up to mumble. In the made-up version of French. Oh no! Just go. I mean, they're just so. Thing. No. Anyway, okay. We're off now. I know. Um, it's fun. It's fun to do. Okay. So, showed you the pictures of the Roman temples. So, I want to mm-hmm. say this as a closing statement on the Caesar worship. We see that Caesar worship was primarily a test of political loyalty. We see that, yeah, right? Yeah. It was a test of whether a man was a good citizen. If a man refused to carry out the ceremony of acknowledging Caesar, he was automatically branded as a traitor and a revolutionary. Exaltation of the emperor then created a problem for the Christians. They had not failed to pray for the emperor in their meetings, but they would not pray to him in private or in public. They had not failed to pray for the emperor in their meetings because Jesus commanded us to do that. Yeah. But they would not pray to him in private or in public. Wasn't there a small sect of Christians on the uh, desert planet of Tatooine? (laughs) You're just trying to get it all. They did not like the empire's Uh, Wes, can you throw that black and white map up that I sent you? Because Um, the emperor and Lord Vader... I just okay. This map that's coming up is a map from the book The Silk Roads Mm -hmm. that is the spread of religions across. Wasn't that a share movie before 600 AD? No, that was Meryl Streep and Silkwood. Maybe it was share. (laughs) Look at this Silk Roads. Okay, so he's showing religion. So he's got Zoroastrianism, which is coming out of Persia, 
Judaism, Christianity, and Buddhism. So, and we're seeing on that's the screen, cool, folks, cool everything from Italy all the way over past India, starting into China. Can okay. I, can I describe to the listener what I'm looking at? Sure. So it's a map, but it's got a little legend in the top right-hand corner of the map that shows the diff- four different religions and how they're spreading. So imagine you're looking at a map and then the spread of Zora. Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism, which was the worship of the Hispanic villain Zoro. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Zoroastrianism is a dashed line. The spread of Judaism is a solid black line. That's skinny. The spread of Christianity is a thicker solid black line. And the spread of Buddhism is a gray thick line. And so you're seeing a map with all these arrows pointing all over the map of where it's spreading and, you know, how prevalent it is. And it does look like... Christianity could be in the lead on this map. <laughs> this is before 600 AD. AD, up until 600. So Buddhism is is pretty much all in China and India, mm-hmm. with some going up into, well, northern China mm-hmm. and coming over a little bit into the Middle East. And then uh, Christianity is kind of going all different directions, but not into China. Up, upper and into the... Oh, into the northern regions of China, mm-hmm. what would modern day be China, but not everywhere. And then going down into uh, the Arabian Peninsula, down into Africa, across the Mediterranean. Well, so is Europe. Judaism. Yeah, and Judaism, that skinny line. It's going down to Africa. Is a little, yeah, it's. Yeah. And it's going over to the uh, Mediterranean. And, and most of that had spread by the time that Christianity got on the scene. Most of those Jewish communities were already there. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I just wanted you to see that. Just, it's kind of a visual well, of the Well, is spread. this telling me that, that in our history through the eyes of faith, chronologically, we had Tertullian around 300. Yeah, 250, 80. 300, yeah, something like that. And in, in his defining the Trinity. And then you're also layering on top of that the worship of Rome. Yeah, which was... And the emperor. Which is going on throughout that period. Throughout that. And then now you're showing me the spread of these religions at 600. Only because that was the only map I had. <clears throat> so we're not at 600. Not by any means. Okay. Because there's a pivotal event in the 4th century that affects everything. Is that episode 45? Uh, I don't know yet. Probably we'll, not. We're fixing. We'll pull that down a little bit. Let's see. Yeah. So, um, the last major persecution of Christians had taken place under the emperor Emperor Diocletian in the years following three o three. So Diocletian was one of those emperors that had persecution throughout the empire. That didn't always happen. It was usually much more local. It was pretty much left up to the local authorities to what degree they were going to hold the Christians mm-hmm. to whatever was going on at the time. But Diocletian did it for the same reason that emperor worship developed in the first place. He attacked the church because he saw it as a divisive force in the Mediterranean world. Remember, this was the time by then the church was an empire within the empire. Mm-hmm. And he thought if he hoped that the elimination of Christianity would reduce disruption from religious conflict. So that Arian heresy... Diocletian was anti-Christian. Yes, because he saw the conflict. Now that Arian controversy, remember we put a pin in the Arian controversy? About Mm -hmm. the definition of who Jesus is? That was part of the conflict that was going on inside the realms of Christianity. And so they've got the problem they won't worship the emperor. They're having discussions within themselves to get things figured out. Let's just kill off all the Christians, and then we can have some calm. That was Diocletian's approach, okay? Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, uh, yeah. Because he wanted to be efficient, he divided his realm into administrative districts. So that was one of the things he did. And when he, so he had four administrative districts. So it was he and three other dudes that were administrating areas. So when he abdicated the throne in 305, his three rivals were left to fight each other for the right to become his successor as emperor. So, in 312, Constantine, who was one of his rivals, or 
one of his, yeah, he called him a rival, <clears throat> defeated, Constantine defeated one of his main rivals at the Battle of Milvian Bridge, and he emerged as co-emperor with Licinius. So in 312, there was the Battle of Milvian Bridge. Constantine defeated this other guy, and he and Licinius are now co-emperors. In the long view, Constantine's victory was much more important for the history of Christianity than for the history of Rome. Just before the battle with Maxinius, that was the duty defeated, Constantine apparently saw a vision that changed the course of his life as well as the course of the Christian church. Constantine was praying to the God of his father when he, quote, was with his own eyes, when he saw with his own eyes the trophy of a cross of light in the heavens above the sun and and an inscription, conquer by this, attached to it. A cross of light in the heavens, an inscription with that cross that said, Conquer by this. Then in his sleep, the Christ of God appeared to him with that same sign which he had seen in the heavens and commanded him to make a likeness of that sign which he had seen in the heavens and to use it as a safeguard in all engagements with his enemies. Uh And that was before he went and defeated Maxinius. And so I have a picture of that. Wes, if you want to throw up those little Roman banner looking things. To show us what the cross looks like, it's called a that this image it's called a laborum, and that's the P with the X, which mm-hmm. is the first two letters of Christ's name in Greek intertwined. So you can see it in the first banner; it's in the wreath mm-hmm. up in the top, which as a yeah. sign of Constantine. And so those are the banners they would carry. And Constantine believed he was victorious because of that, and because he was now. Uh, Fighting under the emblem of Jesus. So he became a Christian. Well, he wasn't baptized till just before his death, but he certainly became a supporter of Christians. Even more, and here's the big momentous thing, even more momentously, he immediately arranged with his fellow emperor Licinius to issue a decree legalizing the Christian faith and making toleration of all peaceful religions the rule throughout the empire. Wow. Constantine. And that is called the Edict of Milan. It does have a card in 312. Wow. Edict of Milan 312. The Edict of Milan was a proclamation that permanently established religious toleration for Christianity within the Roman Empire. Wow. That is a big deal. 312. Yes. And so in 324, Constantine overcame Licinius to rule as the sole Roman Empire. Emperor. Mm-hmm. I bet he did. Okay, so from the Silk Roads, I want to read this. This is his account talking about Constantine. And once again, he's from this Eastern perspective. Licinius? No, Constantine. This is his account. This is Peter Francopan's account okay. from the Silk Roads talking okay. about Constantine. Remember, he's looking at it more as a story of the East. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christian accounts have left little doubt about the limitless enthusiasm with which the emperor personally oversaw the enforcement of Christianity at the expense of all other religions. Even though he made all of them tolerated, he began to personally oversee the enforcement of Christianity. We learn from one author, for example, that the new, um, ah, I don't want that his city was not polluted by altars, Grecian temples, or pagan sacrifices. Something that we're going to talk a little bit more in the next episode. I'll throw it in here. Constantine ends up moving the headquarters of the Roman Empire to Constantinople. To what was then um, Byzantium. It's today Istanbul. It was Byzantium when he moved the headquarters there and renamed it Constantinople. And built a whole new city. So we're going to describe this in making the point mm-hmm. about how constant. But we're going to come back and talk about that move mm-hmm. and its impact. Okay. We'll, we'll do that in the next episode. But so we learned that in this new city, it was not polluted by altars, Grecian temples, or pagan sacrifices. Much in contrast to this Rome that we just looked at pictures of. Right. 
but enriched with splendid houses of prayer in which God promised to bless the efforts of the emperor. Another writer states that famous centers for cults were shut down by the emperor while oracles and divinations, staple features of Roman theology, were banned. The customary sacrifices made before official businesses could take place was likewise outlawed, while pagan statues were pulled down and legislated against. Nevertheless, Constantine's acceptance of Christianity clearly brought about a sea change in the Roman Empire. The persecutions that had peaked during the reign of Diocletian just as a decade or so earlier came to an end. Constantine was every bit as concerned as Diocletian was about the stability of the empire and about the difficulties created by religious strife. But to him, however, the best course was not to suppress Christianity, but to exploit it for its potential unity. Yeah, wow. So rather than that empire in the, within the empire, he more or less brings them together and goes about how can I work with these Christians to bring about unity throughout the empire. And so we will move forward from there. That's the teaser. Yeah, wow. Constantine. It's, it's a big turn. Constantine on the scene. And it's, it is one of the, well... It together with the other thing we're going to talk about that has to do with how do you get that question answered, your little teaser hanging out there, is the next turning point in the Turning Points book. Wow. Well, I was going to say something about Diocletian that I saw the other day on TV. There are several side effects if you're taking Diocletian. <laughs> you should see your medical doctor for some of the side effects. Well, I will be sure Diocletian. to do that. Uh, it can cause sweats. Diocletian can cause a high blood pressure. Who was the, what was the name of the town before it was called Constantine? Uh, Constantinople. Before it was Constantinople, Constantin- it was Byzantium. Yes. And I have an extra bottle of Byzantium back there if we need some for after the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There's too many things Byzantium. Mm. So uh, what was it? What was it? I heard the other day. Gosh, this is a great time for it, too. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> it, was, it was somebody told me this joke. I can't set it up. I'm going to just make it up now. I'm going to set up. Some guy was feeling bad. I'm going to use this. Okay, when I heard the joke, I'm going to use it on my kids is what I am going to do now because I can't remember the actual joke. Okay. But let's say one of my sons is feeling bad. And I say, and this is coming from this Byzantium. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But I say, I'm going to get you, I have a bottle of Trinac in my bedroom, in my bathroom. I need to get you some Trinac. And they're going to say, what's Trinac? And I'm going to say, Trinac like a man (laughs) and get through this. Trinac. (laughs) I'm going to get you some Trinac. Trinac. Okay. So what's your takeaways from episode... 44. Are oh. we on 45? What are we on? 44? This was into 44. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. Because? Because of Constantine coming in and saying, look, now I have a, I've had a vision. I've had a dream, which is very similar to, to scripture. Yes. Things happening in dreams. And very much in that culture of the East. And he creates this image and he wins this battle. And he goes, hey, how about we make an... Uh, Christianity legal and on the side let's let's kind of do away with the other religions even though they're legal we're going to make sure everybody's a Christian well not really make sure everybody's a Christian but hold up that religion as an effort to unify the empire yes push the (laughs) you must find Constantine he will unify the empire and together we will rule Oh, isn't that interesting? And together we will rule. Yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that was episode four. And I don't know, I ate something that I'm allergic to. This last 20 minutes, my throat's been like, Yeah. I ate something. But I haven't. I don't know what it is. Wow. Well, we're glad that you made it to episode 44. Be looking on us, on, looking for us on social media. Oh, also something coming up, or is it, can we still promote what no you're doing? it would have been over how'd it go i don't know yet <laughs> i think it went great yeah we'll, we'll let you know <laughs> all right we'll see y'all next time 
Thanks for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast, brought to you by One Thing Only. For more information and related content, head over to onethingonly.org and click on History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. There you will find related content as well as a way to ask questions and make comments. We want to hear from you. You can find us on all your streaming podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again.